Welcome to It's Sedimentary, my dear, a conversational podcast about all things geology. I'm your host, Ellen. And I'm Jane. What are we talking about today? So this is our promised follow-up episode <laughs> to the earthquake episode. Finally. <laughs> I know you've all been waiting with bated breath. I have. So what we're going to be talking about today is something that's caused by earthquakes and other things, which are tsunamis. At the end of our episode about earthquakes, we had talked about some things, some damage to you know, human structures and infrastructure that are caused by earthquakes. So now yes. we're just getting into the final topic that Jane wanted to cover, which is tsunamis, because that episode had gone quite long. It, so. it was way too long. But <laughs> before we get into our main topic, which is tsunamis, I kind of want to give a service announcement here. Uh, calling all geologists, if we would love to hear about your work or your research. Yes. So if you're interested in, you know, sharing your knowledge with the world, you're welcome to shoot us a DM and uh, we would love to hear from you. Yes. Also, if you're, I know we've gotten a couple of messages from students or like people who are thinking about studying geology. So if you have specific questions about things that you're, or topics you're interested in, you can also send us a DM and we can, we can maybe talk about that. Yeah. So you can send us a message at our Twitter, which is at SaidMyDearPod, or through our Instagram, which is also at SaidMyDearPod. You can send a message to our website, which is SedimentaryMyDear.com, or you can send us an email at SedimentaryPodcast at gmail.com. Yes, and we'll repeat these again at the end of the episode, just because we always do, but yeah. we want to... will be in the notes, too, like they'll be in the show notes. Yes. We just wanted to make people aware that, you know, we're interested in hearing from you as well, and we would love to have you on. Yes, I would love to hear about people's specific research. I think it's very fascinating. It is. It's really, especially when you get into, some people do some stuff that's crazy. And I'm like, so it's like I have friends who, you know, work at NASA. And I have friends who, <laughs> you know, work at the USGS, the United States Geologic Survey, their main headquarters and stuff like that. So it's like, it's always fascinating to me to learn more about that. Okay, so now to the main event. Woo! Tsunamis. Y yay. So the word tsunami is actually a Japanese word, which I'm sure most people could guess, but the meaning of the word is harbor wave. So it's two words put together, harbor and wave. Mm. But a lot of English speakers, myself included, get lazy and just say tsunami because we don't have the noise in <laughs> English. We don't have that. So... I, please excuse my terrible pronunciation. I'm sure I will slip back and forth between the two. But some people in the past called tsunamis tidal waves or seismic waves. The thing is, both of those terms are, particularly the tidal wave term is very discouraged by scientists because tsunamis have nothing to do with tides. So there's no reason mm. to call them a tidal wave. And we do actually have tidal waves, but they're you know, as implied, associated with tides. Based on the tide, yes. <laughs> and seismic waves also doesn't really cover it because sometimes... Well, seismic waves travel through ground, like, that's not... Well, the thing is, seismic waves, yes, they travel through ground, but the term seismic waves would imply that these waves are caused by seismic activity and they're not always caused by seismicity. So it just depends on... Mm. Seismic activity being earthquakes, by the way, mm. just as a reminder. Mm. So Yeah, that was like a month ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> so the short definition for tsunamis is that they are long, tall sea waves triggered by a multitude of things, meaning earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, submarine landslides. That's a thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. And even meteor strikes can cause them too. That's another way. Onshore landslides too can cause large volumes of debris to fall into water and they can cause a tsunami. Mm. So it just depends and if a tsunami causing disturbance occurs close to the coastline a resulting tsunami can reach coastal communities within minutes so wow. it they travel really rapidly either way whether they're far or near but it can happen n not instantaneously but near instantaneously you can get a tsunami if there's an event that it, you know causes it and i know a lot of people probably think of tsunamis as like a single breaking wave Mm, but yeah i think so you know like one massive wave but typically they actually are multiple waves and they rush on shore very similar to a really rapidly rising tide 
Hmm. And there's some areas of the world that have really dramatic tidal changes. For example, Bay of Fundy, which is in Canada. Woo, go Canada. Woo. Yeah, woo. <laughs> so it, uh, on the Atlantic in Canada. Part of it is the latitude that you're at. You're really far north. But also part of it is the the shape of that bay encourages a kind of like a funnel action for the water that's going in and out of there. So you get, you know, funneling water really rapidly. Mm. But also, it, so that, you know, contributes to the really dramatic tide increases there. But still, tsunamis are not tidal. Just wanted mm -hmm. to clarify. Absolutely not tidal. It's not tidal. And also you're saying it's not like, I think I also imagined tsunamis as being like a giant wave that like, you know, it's like surfing California style where you <laughs> see it like curling and it's like huge. But they don't really seem like that. It's more like a big wall of water. It's like the ocean gets taller and then moves in. Yeah, basically. One of the things that we'll go over and why they don't do this is uh, tsunamis don't break. Breaking being the term for when you get that Surf beautiful, and safari. Yeah. It's when like you the get rolling the, top yes, of the wave. You get, the, you get those beautiful <laughs> curls and the sea foam action that you see on the beach or when you see people surfing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But tsunamis don't break and they can't break because of their shape. And we'll That's very interesting. That. I never really thought about that, even after watching these videos. But now you mention it, there is never, yeah, there's never breaking. So. Yeah, there may be like foam and stuff, but it's from disturbances of like you know, probably once it a hits tsunami hitting an object. You know, it's yes. not it's not related to breaking in the way that we traditionally think of it. But yeah. we have, huh. yeah, it, it's kind of bizarre. It I strongly encourage if anybody listens to this episode to absolutely look up videos of unless you want to not be scared of tsunamis. I mean. <laughs> I would suggest listening to watching videos if you live internal to in a land. continent. <laughs> Although tsunamis can actually happen in I was lakes. about to say, can you have a tsunami in like I live like yes. pretty close to Lake Ontario. They can absolutely happen in lakes. There's actually live uphill, multiple so. incidences where they've had various types of crazy waves in the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. But they're not the ones that they've had weren't to my knowledge, I don't think there were any specific tsunamis to the Great Lakes, but they've had rogue know. waves. Yeah, they've they absolutely rogue had waves. rogue waves, which is a different thing. But that's caused that's by that's caused by wave action, not by land action. Correct. Activity. Yeah. So, or Wait. by an impact or a movement of yes. stuff, debris. So anyway, but before anyway. we get more in depth about tsunamis, we have to talk about to be able to understand the differences why tsunami is not just considered another type of wave, just a big one. We have to talk about normal waves, right? So we know mm -hmm. the comparison. So. This this brings me back to my oceanography days. It brings me back <laughs> me to having, too. To, having to memorize a bunch of terms and then being like, oh, no, you get a test and you have diagrams on the test and you're like, oh, no, which one do I pick? <laughs> oh, it's no. We're not in college anymore. Yeah, we're good. So there are several different types of defined waves that occur in the ocean, in rivers, in lakes. But we're going to focus, obviously, on oceanic wave action just because tsunamis are much more likely to happen oceanically and we're also going to focus on hmm. a, one kind of specific type of coastal water wave and that would be tidal waves so again tidal waves are as implied caused by tides we also have any waves that are caused in open ocean are genuinely attributed to wind wind action hmm. versus tidal waves are a combination and they're mainly caused by the tides so <laughs> Tidal action happens because we have gravity interactions between the sun, the earth, and the moon. So all three of those things have their own internal gravity, and then mm -hmm. all of them have gravitational pull to each other. And the thing is, solids, so the continent, isn't as affected as something that's liquid, so water. By gravity. Yes, by this particular set of forces. So that's why the, although all of Earth is being affected by the gravitational pull between the Earth and the moon, the moon to the Earth, and then the Earth to the sun, really we don't see as dramatic a change except for in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And we see this dramatic change as tides, essentially. Mm -hmm. So tides are enormous. They are very, very long waves. Mm -hmm. They have a wavelength that actually, in a lot of cases, spans half the globe. So what? they're huge. Yeah, no, they're huge. They just, be because it's all water on Earth is being affected by the same forces at the same time. 
I know, They're like, very, tides very... are horrifying, especially, yes. like, riptides. This is yes. another, like, Ellen's Afraid of the Ocean Unrelated, situation. unrelated. But they're, so they're very they're very very long but because okay. they're so long they're not very high if that makes sense they don't have uh -huh. enough energy to be super tall and because okay. it's affected over such a large area like a large service area they're not nearly as tall but again not related to tsunami you point out might cover this but their tides only affect uh water like on the continental shelf the thing is waves surface waves specifically don't get seen they don't function at deeper depths so there's mm -hmm. still wave action at the surface but the interaction between water and deep like Gravity. i would say like yeah so it's like well the, the interaction between water at the deep ocean versus water and wave action close to shore there's different kinds of wave action that you get because mm -hmm. you don't have any bottom to get a frictional force off of when mm. you're out in deep ocean. Mm -hmm. So the thing is like, again, these waves are, you know, they are extending out into deep ocean, mm -hmm. but you won't be seeing them the same way as you would be seeing them in coastal areas, okay. if that makes sense. It's not yes, that they're not there and they're all related to each other because they're all being caused by gravity. But... Yeah, it's not like just because you're in the deep ocean, there's no gravity anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just <laughs> but yeah, you don't are not see affected the same, the same way. way. Yes. Yeah, okay. And you're more likely if you're going to have really, really big waves, it's more likely to be caused by a storm or, you know, the interaction between all of the gravitational forces is actually really complicated. And it's why we have spring tides, neap tides, like why we have four sets of tides during a day and not just like a, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the big tidal changes are due really to the shape of the, the land near mm -hmm. there. That makes sense. As well as the latitude. So it's like the higher up you have more intense you know, okay. you have more intense tides. Hmm. And I know I mentioned it before, but I talked about wavelength and I said the wavelength of tides are, tidal waves specifically are very long. Now for wave terminology for people who are not familiar with waves, and this is terminology that's actually used pretty much interchangeably, but depending on what kind of wave you're talking about. So it's when you're talking about sound waves or light waves yeah light waves or water waves they're all they all have the same kind of terminology so you may be familiar if you've taken any you know basic physics or anything like that mm -hmm. the term for the highest point of the wave is called a crest and the lowest point of a wave is called a trough mm -hmm. and then we also have wave height which is the difference between the crest and the trough mm -hmm. which yeah, that makes sense and then the wavelength is the distance between two identical points on successive waves so it's a lot of times to crest yeah a lot of people yeah exactly a lot of people measure it that way where they do crest to crest or trough to trough it's just easier and then wave steepness is one that a lot of people don't talk about but it's the ratio of wave height to the length hmm. so height over length now the reason it's important to talk about this for water waves is because this ratio if it exceeds one to seven meaning that if the height is more than a seventh of the wave length mm -hmm the wave will actually become too steep to maintain its own shape and it will break mm. so we've used oh. that term so yeah it's it's a very specific it's, that's very specific i didn't realize it was like measurable to it that is specific of a ratio yeah it's really cool i don't know i always thought that was really cool because i was just hmm. like how did some crazy person figure this out and then i was like i don't know in a lab like probably they figure it out in the ocean like i don't know i just thought it was <laughs> no really they probably made a tank with like the salinity of the ocean and then met and has set up a camera and made waves that broke and then measured how much it was. Don't ruin my dreams. So, <laughs> so. Well, you know about that whole, like, bay, the, I think it's a USGS lab that's, like, recreated the whole San Francisco Bay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a thing that they did. They did that. Yes. <laughs> anyway, go on. They actually used that setup to I try to figure out recently. the tsunami that occurred after the 1906 earthquake that occurred mm -hmm. in San Francisco. They were trying to work on that. And because what? there was a tsunami, but it wasn't, it didn't react the way that they would have expected for the type of earthquake that it was. So they were trying mm -hmm. to figure out like why. And so they were just doing a bunch of modeling to try to figure out what would have caused. And again, because it was 1906, so they didn't have like recording stations for depth of earthquakes at the time. You know what I mean? They didn't have mm -hmm. any of that. So they were, that's why yeah, they were trying to kind of backtrack. Yeah, they could only use the like land effect to guess probably what yeah. it was. Yeah, basically. But anyway, so breaking, we see this at beaches. <laughs> so you see this as the beautiful curls in your waves that mm -hmm. create this awesome looking surfable tube. And then when <laughs> mm -hmm. they hit the shore, they like fizzle out. We're, say we're saying this like we know anything about surfing. 
<laughs> I know it's gnarly. That's yeah. all I know about it. Tubular. Tubular. So okay, when so... we have wave motion, so that was kind of like the anatomy of a wave. And then with wave motion, we have the period of the wave, which is the time that it takes for two successive crests to pass a given point. So you mm -hmm. just choose whatever point. And then you have the frequency, which is the number of waves that pass a certain point in a certain amount of time. So a lot of times people just write this as waves per second. And mm -hmm. it's actually the, the inverse of the period. So the period is seconds per wave, but. Yeah, that makes sense. Then we also have the speed. So as most people know, it's how fast a wave travels. Mm -hmm. So it's a distance <laughs> over time. Um, due to math, this is how I wrote <laughs> it in my mouth. Due to math, the, the speed is also equal to the wavelength times the frequency. Yeah, that makes sense. It does, but I'm just not going to go over it. I <laughs> it's actually really I easy to calculate. I just wasn't going to do it. It is. I remember this part of physics being very easy. <laughs> yes, it's very straightforward. But it's also kind of hard to visualize it while is. we're talking about it. <laughs> it is. So, therefore, the longer wavelength you have, the faster wave that you have in general. Okay. So, the things about the thing that's interesting about waves in movement is that we kind of I don't know. I didn't really think about it too much when I, until, even though I've experienced waves, you know, I spent time at the beach. I've been like yeah. in waves. I've been on boats a lot growing up. We both have. We've been in an earthquake. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, you don't really think about the motion of a wave, or at least I didn't. I just thought more about when I get slammed by a wave and it slams me into the ground and then I like scratch my knees on the rocks that are <laughs> in the when ocean. You, when you get your face <laughs> slammed into the sand by a wave, you definitely remember. <laughs> but it's but but at that point, the wave is already broken and it, they have this sort of like, I don't know what the, the technical definition for this is, but it's more of like a circular motion. It's like falling on itself. So the thing is, actually, waves always have a circular motion. You just mm. don't see it. So it's it's a circular orbit where... In, rather than just being horizontal or just being a vertical motion. So you're telling me that I helped you segue with my <laughs> description? Unintentionally, yes. <laughs> and waves, the way that they move water is it's a, they have, imagine like, if you imagine like a little ball that's mm -hmm. that can move like internally, it's like a particle that's moving internally in the wave. So at the top so of like your orbit. So like inside the wave, you're imagining a circle. Yes. Okay. At the top of the at the top of your your orbit, what's happening mm -hmm. is it's going forward and over the crest. Like the motion is going forward and over the crest of the mm -hmm. of the wave, and then it goes down and it goes back past beyond the the trough, and continues to do that over and over again. So in actuality, you end up getting kind of like a curly um, for slowly. It very slowly moves forward, mm -hmm. but most of the motion is contained to a vertical component and not so much to a horizontal. Is that why, like, the wave crashes and then pulls back and then crashes again and then pulls yeah. back? Yeah, because yeah, okay. it's a circular motion. Mm -hmm. So it continually moves in that in such a way. Hmm. It's also why if you look at, again, you get much more vertical displacement than horizontal. If you've ever watched, like, a buoy... Or like a seagull that's in the water. <laughs> Floating in the water. Yes. Yeah. You see it. Like it looks like it's bouncing up and down, but it doesn't really move forward or backwards in any way. Yeah, it just kind of like true. goes up and down and up and down. And that's because that's just how waves move. They move like more slowly circularly. Slowly it'll move forward or back, whatever way the yes. tide's going or whatever. But yeah, slowly it'll move. Yes. But... You will eventually get forward momentum, but it's, it's, and the farther out you are, the less affected you are by that mm -hmm. forward horizontal motion. So it's just, uh, it's interesting. Waves are interesting. Mm -hmm. Very strange. It is. We live in a cool place. <laughs> the deeper out and the deeper down in the ocean you go, the less affected you are by wave action, surface mm. wave action. So although wave action is still occurring above you, you the farther down you go, the smaller those little orbits that I was talking about, the smaller those particles move circularly. So it's mm. like you get smaller and smaller amounts of movement until finally you get to a point called the wave base where mm -hmm. there's no movement at all. Okay. And the water's just as it is stagnant. Mm -hmm. Most of the deeper ocean is entirely unaffected by wave action, which is good for deeper ocean critters who don't want to be bothered. 
But a lot of critters that live near shore, they actually require the wave action to get their food. So they Mm. would really not appreciate if they couldn't. You mean all the, like, animals that just wait for food to float by and catch it in their faces? Filter feeders, stuff like that. Yes. The words that you used were correct. Yeah. (laughs) But filter feeders is the correct term for them. But yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, if I could just sit still with my mouth open and just have food given to me, I think that would be great as well. Unfortunately, <laughs> like I don't live in society whale. like that, so I have to move around and catch my food. I'm a hunter-gatherer. If, if you were like that, you would be a jellyfish, essentially. I mean, that's there the kind of ways to go. You would be. <laughs> they seem happy. I, mean, I don't know if they, they have seem a to not have any happiness. Yeah, yeah, they don't seem like they have any problems at all. They just float <laughs> and then eventually get eaten by dolphins. Like I, can I learned in oceanography class that jellyfish are technically considered plankton because they don't have a lot of voluntary movement. Especially, yeah, they don't have a lot of anything. Especially we'll be honest, baby, but... baby jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> so getting back to waves <laughs> you don't want to talk about floating goo in the ocean no uh, we actually we probably will at some point just because we i should. want to talk about historical geology and when you talk about historical geology you go through and also i took environment like in- fossil record or whatever yeah so. i took invertebrate paleontology and i really enjoyed it so i plan to talk about that at some point too and you best believe that jellyfish have no backbone so they're included in invertebrate paleontology <laughs> so uh-huh. i'd love to be able to talk about them okay but shallow water waves are the ones that you actually experience at the beach. Mm-hmm. And these waves, quote unquote, touch the bottom of the seafloor, meaning that the orbital motion of the waves are affected by friction, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because from when land. you, yeah, from land. Because the water is shallower at the coast rather mm-hmm. than, you know, out in the open ocean, the wave orbits become flattened. Which kind of makes sense because like you're getting closer the volume of water you have is shorter so the orbits get flattened mm-hmm. and the water has gets more of a horizontal motion than it had before rather than just being solely circle mm-hmm. so it's like if you imagine instead of having a, a round orbit now you have more of an oval kind of a sideways egg shape orbit mm-hmm. and we have when the wave touches the bottom you're getting friction which causes the waves to slow down mm-hmm. so as that first wave hits the bottom and slows down, the one behind it is still going fast and it actually catches up to the first wave. And then it starts to slow down once it reaches the, you know, once it touches bottom. So you get a a shortening, a decreasing of the wavelength. So the space between crest mm-hmm. to crest. Okay. Despite this though, the waves actually still have the same amount of energy. Mm-hmm. And because of this, even though the wavelengths are decreasing, the wave heights are increasing because mm. the energy's got to go somewhere. There's nowhere to go but up. Yes. And eventually these heights exceed that ratio, that sweet, sweet ratio that we we're talking about of one to seven mm-hmm. height to wavelength. And that's when the waves become un- unstable and then they break. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening. And that's why they actually do that when you get close to shore and you don't get waves breaking out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. The breakers, as we said, breakers curl forward. So instead of mm-hmm. you can't you you'll never have a breaker that curls backward. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's never gonna happen. They curl forward because the bottom of the wave slows down before oh. the top of the wave. So the bottom of the wave oh. is is being subjected to friction from the mm-hmm. seafloor. The top of the wave is not, and so the crest is actually getting ahead of the rest of your wave, mm-hmm. and then it has no water under it to support it, and that's why it curls over like that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I never thought about that till just now. <laughs> Oh, I didn't think about it until I had to take an exam on it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's just, it's interesting thinking about that. Not because it's the thing. One of the things that I love about geology is that it's, it's science you can see, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes. and it's a lot of times it's things that you've experienced in your life or things that you've witnessed on your TV screen when you're watching <laughs> that crazy Disney movie about who, you know, about people who were surfing in Hawaii or whatever. And the kid who was just trying to make his way and he didn't, you know, fit in and belong, but now he belongs. Is there belongs. a Disney movie about that? There's definitely a Disney movie about surfing, but I don't remember if it was about that. <laughs> I was just making up a plot because I was like, this sounds like something Disney would do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, I thought you were talking about Moana at first, and I was like, the water was magic. That's different. <laughs> it was magic, but it's still subjected to the forces of gravity. <laughs> just because you're magic doesn't mean you don't have gravity affecting you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just something that I've always really enjoyed and made geology a more interesting science to me than something like microbiology or you know stuff like that it's not that those things aren't interesting it's just i'm a much more hands-on kind of learner 
even if that means I get knocked down by a really cold wave <laughs> in late September. In the Bay of Fundy. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that that happened to me. I'm just saying it's possible <laughs> that it could happen to anyone. So now that we've talked about the basics, you know, terminology and our understanding of waves, let's talk about how tsunamis are not... <laughs> like waves. that not waves. <laughs> they're okay. waves they're waves but they're oh, not, not they're not, not like tidal they're not tidal waves, yeah they're yes. not tidal waves and they they have their own kind of special set of circumstances for how they're created so wait give us the breakdown again waves basically the wave action is, or maybe i should do it that's my job on this podcast isn't it <clears throat> waves they're caused by the tide pulling the water in and out the tides can be quite large like half the earth the the force can be large right yeah yeah. Yeah, and the wavelengths themselves are very, very long. Mm -hmm. Until they get to shore, and then when the wave starts interacting with the shoreline, friction causes the wavelengths to become shorter and also causes them to become taller, which causes them to break. Yeah. So far so good. Do I need to say something else? No, that's pretty much it. That's, that's all it. that's like the basics. And we learned about the crests and the troughs and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I wasn't gonna mention that, but yes, I mean anatomically speaking, there's this high point called a crest and there's a trough, which would be the lowest point. And that's pretty much all you really need to know. You need and speed. Speed is important for later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but speed is the same speed concept. Speed is measured no from like crest to crest in an amount of time. Yeah. Yes, over time. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's it. I mean, you did. You got it. You nailed it. I Luck cheated because I've already studied oceanography once. So <laughs> part way there already. <laughs> yes. So now that we have talked about all of our wave information, let's move on to waves. the main event. Okay. Tsunamis. Mm -hmm. So tsunamis are, I think I said this before, but they're caused by a displacement of water. Mm -hmm. So whether that's from an earthquake or it could be from a volcano or it could be from a landslide, either one that's in the ocean or on land. Mm -hmm. I know that some people don't think about it, but landslides, we have underwater landslides well, as land, well. Yeah, I definitely think about that until you just said it in this podcast. But yeah, also land a landslide somewhere else into the ocean can cause a, like, cause a tsunami somewhere else across yes. the ocean. Meteor strikes, doomsday, Dude, was that what all those like things. A, <laughs> a meteor strike in the ocean? So an example of this would be the Chesapeake Bay meteor strike that created oh. the Ches that created the Chesapeake Bay meteor impact. I know where that is. Yes, that that was one that caused a tsunami, but that happened incredibly long time ago. We just have a rock record of it, so that's the only reason we know. There's a rock record of the tsunami. Yeah. Oh. Because critters ended up where they weren't supposed to be. <laughs> and then they there's like then some they fish on top of a mountain somewhere, yeah, and then they fossilized, and they were like on oh. the in Africa or something. Probably, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, not Africa. Europe? It wasn't, that, it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. It was like east coast of the United States. But Oh, there was a tsunami. The Chesapeake Bay impact wasn't that long ago, comparatively. But there was a tsunami in the on the west coast of the Atlantic Ocean? Yes. Oh. Like I thought the, it was the like Potomac. the meteor. Oh, up. I thought there was like a meteor hit and then it pushed the water out. They were probably, the there side. was probably some action over there too. But I mean, the... The majority of the water impact affected the east coast of the united states so there can be local effects effects from a meteor strike near shore i guess yes interesting so what's happening is as the seafloor rises or falls the water that's above the seafloor follows that motion mm -hmm. so that's what's creating these waves it's not you know, it's not the tides, it's not wind that's creating them. Hmm. It's a displacement of material into water. And then the water is moving because of that. The volume is changing because of that. Hmm. So one thing to consider, though, is that if you have seismicity that's horizontal and not a vertical fault, you have like a horizontal fault, you're not going to get a tsunami because you're not going to have a big displacement of water. So if you have something that's like shifting side by side mm -hmm. and doesn't cause... You know, you're not going to, you would still see a disturbance in the water, but it's not going to be the same as if you had a, two different blocks, one drops completely below, below the other one, mm. then you have a huge displacement of water. Mm. So the vertical, the vertical falls are the ones that really are the problem children. So in general, when you get these earthquakes that are happening out in the sea, usually the seafloor movement is not that big. It's like maybe 10 meters. So mm. like 32 feet ish in American. Mm -hmm. And 
it's out in story o- building yes but it's out in open ocean so yeah the water the wave, is super deep so the wave that is out there will actually end up only being about equal or lesser height like you don't really see as huge of an impact because it's you have a whole you have a whole open ocean to work with there you know mm-hmm. so three stories in a 900 foot sea. huge sea is different than three stories on a zero foot land you know <laughs> like they're very different from each other mm-hmm. so even though tsunamis at their origin points are relatively small um they have incredibly long wavelengths which we talked about before tidals tidal waves have the longest wavelengths Mm -hmm. but these tsunamis have ones that are between about 100 to 200 kilometers so like 62 to 104 124 ish miles peak to peak wow really yes crazy and while they travel shorter than half the earth but it's still quite long yes and while they travel through open ocean they travel as shallow water waves because they have this really long wavelength so they're not very they're not they don't have a very high height you know they're Mm -hmm. they're relatively shallow but they they they're incredibly fast incredibly fast in open ocean Hmm. and again it depends on the water depth their speed will change depending on how deep the water is. So mm. if you get if you get closer to shore, they slow down, and that's when you get your problems. But yeah, when they're out in open ocean, they're super fast. They can travel at over seven hundred and fifty kilometers per hour. What? So four hundred and sixty miles an hour, they can travel what? that fast. Yes, it's insane. They're faster than a jet. What? It's, yes, that's why if you you hear a tsunami warning, if you're somewhere that they have that system in place, and you hear it, you go. You do not wait. Mm-hmm. You do not wait around to see if it actually happens or if you're far enough away that it's fine. You go, you leave instantly. <laughs> it's important. You're going to get to high ground. Yes. So when tsunamis approach land, they behave just like any other wave. So as the depth becomes shallower, the waves slow down and mm. the height begins to increase. Mm, However, closer together. Exactly. Yes. However, contrary to popular belief, and as movies would show you in crazy <laughs> movies, you know, they always have crazy movies about like tsunamis coming after people. Uh, tsunamis do not arrive on shore as these like giant cresting waves, hmm. you know, these like these breaking waves hmm. because their wavelengths are so long. So it's oh. there. It's impossible for their heights to ever exceed the one seventh of their wavelength. So they never break. They don't actually do the curling action that you would expect for such a large wave. Wow. It's not possible. Instead, usually what they do is they hit the shore as basically sudden surges of water, like big walls of water. So if you ever watch mm. videos of it, you see it. It just looks like the ocean's getting bigger. It does. It just looks really like, horrifying. <laughs> it looks like you're filling up a bathtub too fast. Yeah. It's it's not good. No. And because they hit as these like sudden surges, it also causes a very rapid increase in your sea level. So it looks, it almost looks like you're looking at a giant tide. So Mm. a lot of times in the process of getting a tsunami, once it gets to shore is there's actually a drawback factor. So before it comes to shore, yes, before it comes to shore, because the tsunami is out in open ocean with its certain displacement of water, it actually sucks water from the coast away from the coastline into the open ocean so that it can build up on itself. It's just like a suction effect. You get a suction effect where it's drawing everything in front of it away, including, yeah, into it, into its path, including boats, including docks, including people, if there were people in the water. In the water. Yeah. If the, if you're in the water and the ocean starts to pull away from you, get out, get out of the water. It's not good. I mean, that can happen with, that can happen. With regular waves too, it can. It's, that's like it's like the worst type of riptide. But you have time. <laughs> the worst because, type of riptide because it's so because it's so such a massive displacement. You have some time to realize that there's a problem. So if you well, see water they have away like, from if the there's shore, if, you if run. you're in a tsunami prone area, I'm sure there's sirens on the beach. Like there's no way that there's not. Some places don't have that sophisticated of a system. Hmm. And we'll talk about a place that... But you're just saying if you see water drawing away from the shore, get, get out, out of the water as soon as you can. Get out. Yeah. Get out It's probably instantly. a good call anyway. Don't stick around and take pictures. Don't stick around and take videos. Get a car and get away. 
Mm -hmm. if you can't get a car, get to high ground. Mm -hmm. Or if you're stuck in a car and you realize that there too, there's too much traffic in the way, get to high ground. Mm -hmm. So that would be the only way that you may be okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about some instances where people were not able to get away. But yeah. it may take several minutes for a wave to pass, like to get to shore. Mm -hmm. And during this time, the the entire sea level in the area can rise to 40 meters higher than usual. Wow. It's incredible. Wow. That's, um, so that's 120 feet. Yes. For so that's tsunamis. There's also mega tsunamis, which a lot of people don't what? know about. There's yes. something even worse than 120 feet. Yes. So tsunamis are one thing. Mega tsunamis are tsunamis, but worse. So they have really? an, initial, an initial wave amplitude that's massive. It can be tens to thousands to hundreds, tens to thousands of meters. This is like in the ocean where it originates. Yes. Jeez. Yes. It can be tens to thousands of meters. They're the first wave what? amplitude. So the largest, the, the largest mega tsunami that was ever recorded was in 1958. It was in Latuya Bay, Alaska. I may be saying that wrong. I'm sorry, Alaska. It, so what happened was there was a 7.8 moment magnitude earthquake. It's pretty big. But what it did was it actually caused 90 million tons of material. So it was like land and also ice to drop into the ocean all at once. And what it did was it actually created a 30 meter or a hundred foot wave when it hit shore. But it was so much water that it actually washed out trees up to about 524 meters or like 17, 20 feet. That's so high. A th over a thousand feet. Yeah. <laughs> from sea floor, from zero. Wow. It's crazy. And yeah. it, actually, it actually carried two eyewitnesses. They were in a boat. Oh. Howard Ulrich and his son Howard Jr. were in a boat when this happened and they sailed over the trees in their boat <gasps> and then they were in the process after being sailed over the trees on this mountain that was next to the ocean they were washed back into the bay from the from the ocean when it dropped and they both lived which wow, is that's insane impressive. yeah which is insane they were so lucky. They yeah. were so lucky that they lived because that was in that's incredible. That's crazy. The thing is, if you are in, you know, open ocean, like deep enough water, if you're away from the shore, a tsunami doesn't do anything to you. If you're in a boat, it yeah. doesn't affect you at all because you need to have that action. You need to have that friction action with the coast to be able to have any sort of speed mm -hmm. and height that you get. But... I just I read that and I was like, is that for real? And it's absolutely well. They're eyewitnesses, so they they came back, I guess, and, and <laughs> crazy lived to tell the tale. That's crazy. It was the largest recorded mega tsunami wow. ever, and there have been other ones, like when Krakatoa blew up, mm -hmm. and there are a couple of other instances, but it's crazy. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy that they survived. Yeah, those two people survived. I was just mm -hmm. like, oh. so in. 2011 we've talked about this i brought it up because we're we also talked about this particular event in our earthquake episode so in 2011 there was a 9.0 moment magnitude earthquake in japan mm -hmm. it was the Tohoku. anyone who right? was kind of tohoku tohoku thank you anyone who was you know like a cognizant adult in 2011 probably remembers it it because it was significant it was a huge deal it, yes. Not only was it an earthquake, it was a crazy earthquake. It also triggered a, a tsunami. And then it also caused the Fukushima nuclear accident. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why a lot of people really paid a lot of close attention to it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is the craziest is that it actually moved Japan, physically moved Japan about eight inches closer to the U.S. Wow. It was huge. It was a huge amount of movement. We did joke that eventually we'll be able to get cheaper flights in like thousands, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years to Japan. It will be much cheaper. Yes. <laughs> It'll be significantly cheaper. But yeah. But the tsunami caused a lot of damage on Honshu, which is like the main island, and which is the closest portion of Japan that was near the earthquake site uh, i should say the epicenter the epicenter of the earthquake because yes. it was like out in the pacific ocean it was it I wasn't exactly on shore it was out in the ocean right but in a particular place in japan in um kamaishi there was something called a, a breakwater 
which is kind of like a giant it's not it's almost like a dam that you put out in the middle of in this case they put it at the mouth of the bay that was mm -hmm. in Kamaishi and it has it's like two sides that are not connected to each other so there's a gap in the middle so that people with their boats can go through it mm -hmm. basically like a channel in the middle but it's almost yeah again like a dam i think is a good I word or like a bridge underwater dam yes yeah, like an underwater dam so it extends above where the where the water line is where the normal ocean tides would from be seen the, from the top it looks like a, a pier i guess yeah it kind of um, does look like a pier but it goes to the i guess it goes to the seafloor i don't actually know how deep it goes it goes it deep is. into the water it goes it goes below the seafloor so it's actually really well yes so it's i mean it has to be 1960 meters long so because it's two separate ones constructed yep. together and then the depth is about 50 meters in some okay. places the deepest point that they had dug in so like with the total height of this wave breaker was actually 63 meters so like that was wow. the deepest point that they had dug into the ocean to to create this this wall to prevent mm -hmm. tsunami damage and it was designed it started in the 70s is when they started construction and it just completed it in 2009 is when they completed it mm -hmm. and then it what it was designed to do is it's supposed to reduce it's supposed to reduce the size of the the bay mouth opening to decrease the run-up height of any tsunamis that come in so it's supposed to like prevent any tsunamis from being able to like have a lot of time to build up time along the sea floor to build up their height oh where the sense. friction so once it's hitting the break wall the breakwater yes um so it's hitting the tsunami's hitting the breakwater and then and then it's being it has to go over the breakwater and so it, it has it's, it's basically some momentum kind of, there yes. i guess essentially yes and that's then, yeah, the plan because you stop it from moving there's less forward momentum, so you're not having as much of a difference of friction on yes. the seafloor, I guess, on the other side of the breakwater. Yes. So basically all it does is supposed to, because of that, it's supposed to reduce the height of waves. Wall. You know what I mean? Yes. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. Because you're, you know, you you don't let it build up that, it, it creates more inertia. You don't get to build up that momentum the way that you would if you mm -hmm. just had open an open seafloor to go through. Mm -hmm. So this beautiful brand new breakwater that they had built in Kamishi Bay, Kamaishi Bay, only lasted two years, years before it was destroyed by the first wave from this particular tsunami. From the March so, 2011 tsunami. Yes. And this tsunami, this particular wave was about 10 meters tall. So about 30 feet, it's like a 30 foot tall wave. Wow. So it was, you know, the breakwater may have contributed to it being slightly smaller because there were other areas that were hit much harder with this mm. tsunami. But there's speculation that this particular breakwater actually caused more problems than it solved. Mm. So when the project was about to be put in place in the 70s there were a group of japanese scientists who were modeling the effects of having the breakwater placed there mm. in this bay and its effects on outer other areas in japan mm -hmm. and basically they nearby the areas I guess. yes and basically the scientist the japanese scientists concluded they were like yeah this is potentially going to cause worse tsunamis in other areas rather mm. than just protecting Kamaishi. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to Ryoishi. So Ryoishi is just north of Kamaishi and it was hit by a much larger wave than Kamaishi. So it's believed that the tsunami actually in Kamaishi actually deflected off of the Kamaishi breakwater mm. so it didn't all just hit Kamaishi. But because of that, it amplified when it went into Ryoishi, to the Ryoishi Bay. Mm -hmm. So Ryoishi itself, the city had a seawall. So a seawall is on shore and it's usually constructed of, it's, it's usually like concrete, like concrete with like steel inside of it, steel rods to mm. maintain it. And 
it's an onshore construction rather than the breakwater, which is the, out in the water. The breakwater is out, out in the bay somewhere. Like you said, it's fifty. It was a hundred. Like the mouth, almost a hundred feet deep in some places. So, yeah. So in the in the deeper part of the bay, as opposed to a seawall, which is onshore, right on the shoreline, usually. Yeah, I mean they have room for like beach run up and docks and stuff like that, but it's mm, before yeah, you right. get to any residential areas or anything like that. Mm. And the seawall in Ryoishi was thirty feet tall, so it was not an insignificant seawall. It's, it's a massive a three story <laughs> structure, oh, so three story building. Yes. Yeah, three story building. And the largest wave that hit Ryoishi was twenty meters tall. What? So Sixty feet That's tall. Twice as high as the seawall. And destroyed the seawall. That's it also was absolutely twice wet. as tall as the wave in Kamaishi. So there's a belief that the breakwater in Kamaishi may have contributed to wow. the destruction that happened in Ryoishi. Mm. But Japan has decided to rebuild the breakwater, breakwater in Kamaishi. And I'm not going to comment on that. I was just saying what scientists have said in the past about the breakwater in Kamaishi. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Uh... <laughs> it seems to be questionable. We were, we were chatting article. about it. We earlier. were just chatting. Yes. There's an article in the New York Times about the questionable nature of this. But I mean, I'm not an expert, so no comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not an expert either. So that was one particular incident of a terrible tsunami. But there, there have been other crazy tsunamis there was a tsunami in like the 1700s that was it originated in washington oregon and california hmm. so it was like somewhere in that area but it actually caused damage in japan because wow, the really? tsunami yes the tsunami made it all the way across the ocean into japan crazy. and there have always there have been multiple instances tsunamis can travel really far and really fast so a lot of times you're not safe, even if you're on the other side of the world and you think, wow. oh, this won't be a problem for me. It may be a problem for you. Huh. So just keep that in mind. The, the, so if we the, get another... The Tohoku earthquake didn't cause tsunamis in North America, did it? I don't think it caused huge amounts of damage on the west coast of the United mm. States, but I do believe that there were tidal, like there were effects, like there were higher tides it's than normal. It's gotta be ocean effects. Yeah. I believe I, that Hawaii in particular had higher tides than normal, but I don't think that there was Hawaii's a lot closer I don't to believe Japan. there was significant I, I can't tell you for sure but I don't believe okay. there was significant damage there I know that I believe that because I remember thinking at the time oh tsunami is there going to be a tsunami in Hawaii and I believe Hawaii did have again like crazy waves for a while but I don't think that they actually had a massive oh crushing tsunami earthquake triggered tsunami warnings throughout the Pacific Basin tsunami yeah. raced outward from the epicenter it generated waves 11 to 12 feet high along yeah. the coast of Kauai in Hawaii, yeah. in the Hawaiian Islands. So it was like they were big waves, but they weren't like a tsunami. Like it was, the energy had dissipated through distance, if that makes so sense. Several hours later, a nine, nine foot tsunami wave struck the coast of California and Oregon. Yeah. So the worst tsunami, I know that we've already been, it's kind of, the, the Tohoku earthquake had a horrible. It was a horrible. Tsunami. It was horrible, and there were so many people who died. How many, many, people, many people? How many people died? I can't remember. Like uh, this article that I'm looking thousands. at right now says twenty thousand. Yeah, twenty thousand people to have been. Killed. The thing is, it's not even the worst tsunami disaster That's... in his in you know in recorded, recorded history. history. Yeah, the worst one was the Boxing Day earthquake that occurred in 2004. So that one is it was in the Indian Ocean. The tsunami was caused by a mega thrust fault. Okay. between the Burma plate and the Indian plate. So these are both micro plates, micro tectonic plates. Mm -hmm. We talked about them, I think, in our plate tectonics episode. Yeah, we might have talked about them. But the, a megathrust fault, what's happening there is this occurs at a subduction zone, which we did talk mm -hmm. about what a subduction zone is. Mm -hmm. So at convergent plate boundaries, so destructive plate boundaries, what happens is one plate is getting forced underneath the other plate. Mm-hmm. So the one that's going underneath, the one that's being forced up, actually displaces the water above it. So the one that's getting shoved oh, upward it gets raised up. shoves the water. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So that's what caused this particular tsunami. Wow. And this tsunami, it reached heights of 65 to 100 feet in Sumatra. I read that right before you said it. My eyes were gigantic. Yes, Ellen's <laughs> eyes were huge. And it caused more than 200,000 deaths. It was wow. crazy. It was crazy. And it stretched from the, the effects of the tsunami stretched from Indonesia to East Africa. 
Wow. But All the way tide gauges, the, the tide gauges around the entire world were affected. Wow. It could be recorded around the entire world. That's how massive this thing was. Did this this must have caused an earthquake. No, the earthquake caused this. So the earthquake was, there was an earthquake. It was terrible. It's one of the worst earthquakes that we've had also. What, what was the moment so magnitude? The moment know? magnitude of this earthquake was, it was 9 point, it was initially documented as being an 8.8, .8, but there were studies afterwards that concluded it was closer to a 9.2, 9.1-ish wow. earthquake. So wow. the thing is like, and it wasn't just one earthquake, obviously, because earthquakes don't just aren't just one you know it comes with yeah. foreshocks and aftershocks too mm. but it was about 30 kilometers below sea level and about 160 kilometers from the western coast of sumatra like northern sumatra mm -hmm. so it was so 100 miles off the coast so i mean that's relatively close it's not mm -hmm. super far away this earthquake was so massive that it was felt in Bangladesh, it was felt in India, it was mm -hmm. felt in Malaysia, in Myanmar, in Thailand, Sri Lanka, well, you know, all the way around. Yes, the Maldives, mm. even people in the Maldives could feel it. Mm. And there were other, the thing is, when this fault occurred, other secondary, they, they termed it like pop up faults also occurred. So mm. you got even additional seafloor popping up that occurred. <laughs> so just added to the displacement of the water. Mm. It was, it was bad. It was real, real bad. Mm -hmm. And it was real, real bad because it was Boxing Day. So there were a lot of people who were vacationing in this area oh, at this time. No. It's it's crazy also because there's so much footage from this particular tsunami and earthquake because there were so many people who were vacationing at the time. Mm -hmm. The other thing about this earthquake, or excuse me, well, this earthquake slash tsunami is that mm -hmm. it was really interesting the, the way... The locations that you had the most destruction because the orientation of the earthquake was nearly north south in orientation mm -hmm. so the greatest strength of the tsunami waves were actually east west in orientation mm -hmm. so bangladesh is at the northern end of the bay of bengal mm -hmm. but bangladesh even though it's like a really low-lying area and it was relatively close to the epicenter had very little tsunami damage because it was north it was almost directly north of where the wow. the epicenter was but everything east and west was got wrecked it was terrible is it normal to i thought it was like uh radial like it all radiates it does go in all different directions but it's the it depends on how the water displacement was because mm, it's not like okay. you're just plinking a stone in the middle of a bathtub yeah it's more like you're there's it's not like that well you're saying the orientation of the fault is north south. The, the fault the orientation of the fault is north south so some of the land is placed on one side which would then cause it to be more of like an east-west motion yes so that's why the water was displaced east to west so you imagine so a the... straight line going north south yes and then if you raise half of that one side of that line then it's going to push the i guess water, the water more in one direction yeah in an easterly westerly direction interesting and some of the tsunami, actually, that energy, I know I've said this, it, you could be, it could be recorded around the, or, the world, but there were actually measurable tsunamis along the western coast of North and South America. Wow. So they were around 7.9 to 15.7 inches, so like teeny, teeny, tiny. Mm -hmm. But Not even as much as those ones that we read about the, the Toho earthquake yeah but you have to imagine that like it had a to, a it has to get out of the indian ocean and then b yeah it has go to around africa all the way across. yes yeah, yeah. Well, not, not go around africa it's on the other side but to to get to the west coast of oh the west coast of south so america it was, it not the east the coast well, i yes. imagined the the it being the east coast of south america yeah no i understand yeah no yeah. it had to cross across the west coast across in the entire pacific which is huge yeah um and was recorded crazy and there were and there were waves that were large enough to be detected in vancouver too mm-hmm it, it's crazy just, it's that's insane. really crazy that's so to, far away yes from the origin <laughs> so point. far away so i think i had mentioned this before because ellen had brought up tsunami warning systems that if you hear a warning you go the thing is the reason one of the reasons why this was such a devastating earthquake is because there were no tsunami warning systems in the indian ocean at there all were, no there none? were none at the time in 2004 no. Yes, to warn the general population if they, that but was living near the ocean. there's tectonic activity there. Are there regularly tsunamis there of any size or? 
they can know? have tsunamis. I think they just didn't invest in the infrastructure. Hmm. I think those countries just didn't have the money to invest in it or just decided not to invest in it. Yeah, they're building the Himalayas over there. You <laughs> think that you would want that? You need, it's, you can't really, it's not really easy to detect tsunamis in deep water. It's much easier to detect them in coastal water so you can mm -hmm. see them in tidal gauges and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in deep water, we mentioned this before, the heights are not that significantly different. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to, you can't really get a network of sensors that are very good at being able to detect it. Hmm. A lot of times nowadays, actually, you can use satellite imagery to help with with warning systems and stuff like that. But still, mostly it's hmm. dealing with coastal waters and coastal hmm. things. The And the thing is about tsunamis is they're much more frequent in the Pacific Ocean because that's yeah. where you have your, your ring of fire. Yeah. So that's where a lot of people are, you know, where the majority of the warning systems in the world exist. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a need to invest, but perhaps not in the Indian Ocean. And although earthquakes are really frequent in the Indian Ocean, particularly in like Indonesia, mm. tsunamis are not nearly as frequent. So like the last tsunami before this was in 1883, and that was when Krakatoa erupted. Wow. Okay. But well, not, and again, not every yeah, earthquake really produces one. Yeah, we don't really in things that happen every hundred years. And, and even in March of years. 2005, there mm. was another, it was like an 8.7 magnitude earthquake. And it hit almost the exact same area, no tsunami. Hmm. There was no major tsunami from it. It was like, you know, wave action, but you hmm. know, not really as dramatic. Weird. So yeah, I think when Ellen had brought it up, she was like, oh yeah, there's all these, these warning systems. I'm like, <laughs> this one. Um, not here. And, and the crazy thing is this tsunami, like the impact of the tsunami, it was actually delayed several hours. There were several hours between That's the weird. earthquake happening and the tsunami happening, but people decided to stay on shore and because they there was no warning system or anything and and people and also again like the locals were like eh we get earthquakes all the time like you know whatever so everybody was just hanging out on the beaches and it was it was no bueno if if you're somewhere near shore and you feel an earthquake i strongly recommend you get away from the shore mm. because it's it once you see the tsunami, it's too late, you know, because yeah, it travels fast. as fast as a jet plane. You can't outrun it, mm -hmm. you know, it's not possible. So just keep that in mind. It was it was bad. This one was really, really bad. And there there are I mean, if you if you feel up to it, there are definitely videos that you can watch. And there's a couple documentaries, you know, it's interesting to see as a as a cautionary tale, but it, they are kind of hard to watch, so just, you know, keep that in mind. If if that's something that you don't feel comfortable watching, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, there's a lot of content about the Tohoku earthquake as well, but it is very sad. There's, all of these are very, very sad. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Again, like, I think we mentioned with the, Toho, uh, the, the Tohoku earthquake and, you know, disaster combination, the, the majority of the deaths that occurred from the Tohoku earthquake were actually caused by the tsunami so people mm -hmm. drowning because of the tsunami they were not caused by the shaking of the earthquake itself mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to mitigate an earthquake and the effects of earthquakes than it is to mitigate a giant wall of water that arises from the sea and you have mm -hmm. no control over mm -hmm. so um i know it's kind of i feel bad we're ending it on kind of like on a, a bummer yeah we're really ending it on a bummer well but like i don't know we predicted this last time with our other earthquake damage scenarios and, it, and it's also important to talk about it. like you don't want to you know it, it's important to recognize that you know you may not have control of a tsunami but you do have control if you feel an earthquake to get a, to high ground you know yeah. like that's something that you can do if you if you can do um and not wait because like sri lanka there they weren't hit by the tsunami until like two hours after the earthquake so that's more than enough time to get away from the shore mm -hmm. people just you know stayed in their boats and they just hung out you know well they thought it was just a regular earthquake exactly like and they didn't it, you have know a warning system so exactly what can you do it, exactly so it's just it's just you know uh, hopefully i don't know if they've followed up i'm sure that some areas have followed up and have added in earthquake systems i'm sure they have or in, like um you know tsunami warning systems at this point and the great thing is that there are several different scientific organizations um out of japan and like united states geologic survey who actually do global warning systems for mm -hmm. things like earthquakes and tsunamis so if you listen if you are a listener who lives in a coastal region i strongly recommend that you sign up for those alerts you can get them through twitter 
or um, they have other alert systems like RSS feeds, you know, stuff like that. So uh, if, if you're somewhere who is in a more earthquake prone or a volcano prone area, Mm -hmm. you know, we haven't really, we didn't really talk about that, but there's also volcano warning systems. So even if your local area hasn't been able to put those in place, you might be able to get you know, something through the internet. And I would strongly recommend you do it Mm -hmm. just for your own safety. Mm -hmm. And I think the other takeaway is like, this is some of the important work that geologists do. Yeah. Of course, we have these natural disasters and it's difficult for us as humans to avoid every single one. But the important work that geologists are doing to give people warning and develop systems to warn people about seismic activity and... um just being educated about these kinds of things I think is important that's some that's the takeaway I think we should have here yeah it's uh again it's not I feel bad because it's it's still kind of a bummer but you know I think being well informed is sometimes more important than just having happy jovial good times all the time so Sorry if we bummed y'all sad, out. Sorry about sad that. Sad things are part of the human experience, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Again, you know, there's a lot of literature available. Um, there's also a lot of videos and stuff like that available. If you're interested, you're welcome to watch them. I don't know if I'll... If we did post anything about them, we would probably have to... We'd probably have to put a warning up with them. But, mm-hmm. you know, keep in mind, um, if you want to increase your education about the subject, mm-hmm. I do recommend it. Or your empathy, which is... Yeah. Also... Yeah. It was, yeah. 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 They're sad. Very yeah. sad. And just scary. Yeah. Earthquakes are no joke. Earthquakes are no nope. joke. Tsunamis are no joke. Volcanoes are no joke. I live in a stable craton, and that's how I like to live my life. <laughs> like, I would like to be on the most stable craton. I live in the middle. Of the yeah, I live in the most. I mean, the only problem that I have is because I'm so far away from the ocean, it gets really, really hot and really, really cold. So those are the problems that I have. But <laughs> well, you got tornadoes. That's your natural. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, choice. we do have tornadoes. That's true. We do have really bad tornadoes. But I mean, anyway, uh, what are we going to talk about next time? On that note, on that happy <laughs> note. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I think it's important. It is. Empathy it is important. important. It is important. It's not it's necessarily the uh, the like you know the highlight of of twenty twenty for us to talk about tsunami two major tsunami incidents that caused many many deaths. But if you want to. If you want to, um, if you're studying geology, maybe consider that this is something. Yeah, maybe you, you want can, to be the people to help into. mitigate risk. Like that's an incredible field to go into, mm-hmm. or to help build structures that are safer against these kinds of natural disasters, or mm-hmm. to be someone who's a part of an ocean alert system, you know, mm-hmm. or to help develop better ways to to send people alerts. You yeah. know, that would be fantastic. Like it, it's such a worthwhile thing to go into. Mm-hmm. That really, really helps people. It makes a huge difference. Mm. So if you are considering geology, consider that there are jobs like that. You know, not just the flashy volcanologists <laughs> who go out with their hammers and dip them into <laughs> lava and put it in a bucket. You know, like we actually have people who or do not things. Just, not just the people like Jane who are sitting around making masks with computers. Yeah. Or then... <laughs> wasting their time. It's fine. <laughs> People need maps. That's fine. I, you know, people do need maps. That's true. So, you know, it's just, it's just those, those kinds of jobs to me seem like some of the worth, most worthwhile kinds of jobs, you know, helping people. So next time, what are we going to talk about? So next time I was thinking it's going to be released on the 24th and you know what that oh, means. Oh, how festive. Yes. It's a uh, very close to Christmas. If anybody's celebrating that we are this year. Social- <laughs> this year we do every year. You don't know that. <laughs> Maybe there'd be a year we don't. You don't yeah, know that. that's true. We are, and we're doing, a, obviously, a very safe, socially distanced Christmas. But yeah. we are, um, for those who are celebrating, hello, happy Christmas. But we, I decided that I wanted like to do something weeks. that's related to the holiday. And so what better than to relate it to the thing that people get when they are the worst? Let's talk about <laughs> coal. I think we should talk about coal next time. Sounds good. Santa, y'all better watch out. Santa's gonna bring you coal. Yeah, I hope you in the form of this podcast. <laughs> Are you saying this podcast is punishment? That's unfortunate. Mm, not not mm-hmm. saying that. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm excited to learn about coal. Also, and coal. I'm I'm really excited. I actually I genuinely love You've anything been to that's coal related mines, to. Haven't you? Yeah, I genuinely yeah. love anything that's related to sedimentary, uh, petrology and sedimentary rocks. What is petrology? Have we... Petrology is the study of rocks. So it's the branch of science <laughs> concerned with the origin 
and the structures and the composition of rocks. This is the a petrology, a subset of geology, I'm guessing, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because there are other parts, parts that, excuse me, there are other parts of geology, but it's a, it's a, petrology is a branch of geology. Geology. Cool. So it just, you study rocks mm -hmm. and you study how they form and you study how they break and that's Sounds petrology. Good. good. But yeah, petrology is broken up into three different branches, which you're familiar with. It's igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary. Oh, okay. That's how they break it up. I yeah. see. So. Cool. So yeah, sedimentary petrology. We'll be talking a little bit about that next time. And, nice. uh. And I'm excited. You can expect coal in your stocking this year. Ha <laughs> ha. You don't like my marketing? I liked it. <laughs> It'll be your Christmas Eve present. We'll let you open this one early. <laughs> Only this one, though. Only bad. All bad jokes. Okay. Well, I'm excited to learn about coal. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. You can send us messages on our Twitter or Instagram. And the handle for both is at SaidMyDearPod. So like S-E-D-M-Y-D-E-A-R-P-O-D. Or you can send us a message through our website, which is sedimentarymedia.com. Or you can send us an email at sedimentarypodcast.gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Our sources for this episode are Introduction to Oceanology by Paul Webb, which is offered online by Roger Williams University. Japan Revives a Sea Barrier That Failed to Hold by Norimitsu Onishi for the New York Times. And the Encyclopedia Britannica online article, Japan Earthquake and Tsunami of 2011 by John P. Rafferty. Music for It's Sedimentary My Dear is provided by Solar Slays. You can find his music at youtube.com slash user slash C-C-F-U-L. -E